came up. I don't know why, because I'm not a, an Oklahoma fan, um, being from Texas, but uh, they had a video called OUDNA. And I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know if it's going to help their team win football games or not, but it sounded cool to me. And so as I'm watching this, the idea is their coach is saying, hey, we got to know who we are. We got to know what drives us to do the things that we do and, and what kind of values do we have as a team. And so because I'm helping coach football at Gainesville, I'm thinking through this, trying to find something helpful for the guys. And I started to think about DNA, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not a science guy. Just I'm going to be honest with you all. I'm, if you're a science person today, I should invite you to come up and do this part. But uh, correct me after service. DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. Is that right? Oh, come, on, come on, people. Wow. Man, I'm good. I'm rolling. Um, so I'm, here's my attempt to share what I think I think it is. Is It's almost like, a, I'd say it's kind of like a blueprint or a manual with instructions or a recipe, so to speak, for living things. So whether it's a tree or a dog or you or me, we have DNA, and it basically makes you who you are, right? And so that's my simple version to, to try to avoid making myself look like a fool. And so as I started to think about this, I'm thinking, okay, for Gainesville football, who are we? What do we do? And then I started to think about the church, started to think about new life. And this question came to my mind. We're kicking off life groups this week, and I thought, what is the DNA of a life group? Like we're about to go do this thing for three months together, and we're going to spend time together and commit in relationships with people. So like, who are we? What do we do? What are we supposed to be about in these groups? Maybe I'm the only type of person who asks these weird questions, but um, I started to think about this biblically. Like, wh why do we do small groups? You know, what's, what's the purpose of small groups? How do they work? And so today, uh, before we jump into signing up for small groups, which we will, there's cards on chairs around you at the end of the service. You'll get a chance to fill it out, and people will come around. You can drop it in a basket. If you're new or if you have not been in a group before, and you might need to talk with your spouse about your calendar, what nights of the week work best for you, whatever that situation is, uh, you probably saw when you came in. But after service, we're actually going to end with the sermon. So good news, I'm the last thing that you're going to see today. Uh, so we will end, I'm going to pray, and we'll walk into the lobby, and there's tables with pictures of the group leaders with information. We'll have leaders at the tables, or uh, if the leaders are out of town today, then we'll have group members there. So you can meet people, you can ask questions, you can kind of fill different groups out, and then hopefully that will help you make a decision maybe today or in the next couple of weeks. All right, so that's what we're going to do today. But before we jump into all that fun stuff, I genuinely want, the Word of God. I want what God has said to inform who we are and what we do. I, I really don't want to do something innovative. I don't want to come up with my own idea. I genuinely want to just see, as best as I can try to come up with it, what does God actually want when we meet together in small groups? So with that in mind, if you've got a Bible, grab it real quick. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. Don't worry. The verses will be up on the screen. Um, so before we get into the passage, let me just tell you a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, so the, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew was a guy who was formerly called, anybody know? What was his name? Levi. What was his occupation? Tax collector. Awesome. So he was a sinful guy. Uh, he was looked down upon in society because he was a traitor. He betrayed the Jewish people. And this guy 
he's, he's in the Bible. He wrote this book of the Bible because Jesus changed his life. Just like Chris, who shared how Jesus changed his life. Just like John shared last week, and I shared the week before. In the same way, Jesus changed this guy's life. And so he wanted to write to primarily a Jewish audience. And the purpose of writing this was to show, was to demonstrate that Jesus is the long-awaited king. This is the son of David. This is the guy that they've been waiting for. And he would use Old Testament scriptures to prove his point over and over and over. So Jesus is king. Now up to this point in chapter 4, Matthew has talked about the genealogy of Jesus. He's talked about how Jesus was born, how Jesus was baptized, how Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. And he just at the beginning of chapter 4 starts talking about how Jesus started his ministry. And the very first thing that Jesus did was he went out and preached. He just went out in public and started talking. And he announced something. There was big news that Jesus announced. And the news was that people needed to turn away from their sin to God, commit themselves to God, offer themselves to live a life for God. Why? Because God's kingdom was near. The rule and reign of God was breaking into the world in an unusual and powerful way. And because of that, Jesus said, you need to change and submit yourself to God. So that's the very first thing that Jesus did. He preached. And now, uh, with that in mind, we're going to pick up from there, um, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus has just been preaching. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees uh, Peter and Andrew, two bros. They're out there wide net fishing. They're casting this net into the water. And Jesus calls out to him, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And just like that, they immediately drop everything and start walking with Jesus. So they're walking along the Sea of Galilee. They're talking, getting to know each other, talking about their day. I don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, they see two other brothers, James and John. And so Jesus does the same thing to them. He walks up to them and says, come follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Here's something that's interesting. When Jesus started his ministry, he preached first that the kingdom was at hand. The very next thing that he did was what? Somebody say it. What did he do? Invited people. Yep. And he invited not just these four people, but how many people? Yelled out. Twelve. Huh. In other words, when Jesus started his ministry, he started a a small group. Am I making this up? I mean, seriously, like really, am I genuinely making this up? When I say a small group, I'm not talking about a once a week meeting. 
I'm not talking about a program of a local church. Jesus invited 12 men, a small handful of people, to do life with him. Jesus started a small group. That's what a small group is, right? So Jesus invites these guys. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus worshiped in the temple in the, in the synagogues with, with a large group of people. He would go on to send out 72 other disciples to preach the gospel. He healed, did miraculous things for crowds of thousands of people. So is Jesus anti-large group? No, Jesus did large groups too. But all throughout that, he was committed to 12 guys. He had relationships with a handful of people. And so here's the, this is the conviction that I personally believe that God, through this passage, wants us to get, wants us to be gripped by. I believe that if we're a disciple of Jesus, or if we're the church of Jesus, then like Jesus, we need to be committed to small groups. That's not really complex, is it? It's not like DNA. I mean, it's pretty simple. Are we going to just believe the message of Jesus, or are we going to believe the message of Jesus, and we're going to live out the methods of Jesus? Because I want to do both. I want to believe what Jesus taught, and I want to live how Jesus lived as much as possible for a human being. So that's my conviction, that small groups are not a new fad. They're not a cute add-on to Sunday morning. They're not take it or leave it. According to the life and ministry of Jesus, having deep, meaningful relationships and following God together in community, it's essential. It's not optional. It's not like Sunday's the real thing. And then, oh, we just do life groups just because. Why do we do small groups? Why do we do life groups? Because Jesus did. Do you really believe that, though? Do you really believe we do small groups because Jesus did? And think about it. You might be thinking to yourself, well, Preston, Jesus was the son of God, so not everything that Jesus did, we do that. And I totally agree with you. There's certain things, yeah, we don't. But how do we know that we should continue to do small groups? Well, for one, because the, earlier, the earliest followers of Jesus continued to be committed to gathering in small groups. How do we know this? Because when the church was started in Acts 2, Holy Spirit's poured out, people of God is birthed. They not only worshiped together in the temple courts, but they met where? House to house, in homes. Unless they had homes that could fit 120 or more people, and they went from house that could fit 120 to house that could fit 120 to house that could fit 120. I don't know how big your house is. My apartment couldn't fit 20, much less 120. Uh, unless I'm missing something, they met in a corporate worship gathering in the temple courts, and then they met to break bread and for fellowship from house to house. When Paul wrote letters to churches, and think about this, he wrote to churches in cities, at the city level, right? So in Galatia or Colossae or wherever it was, he's addressing the church in a city. But when he wrote several of his letters, he said, give my greetings to the church that meets in so-and-so's house and so-and-so's house and so-and-so's house. Do you see my point? We got to have a conviction. Not only did Jesus commit to a small group of people, followers of Jesus have always committed to small groups of people from house to house, even throughout church history. And, and I don't, I mean, I could go there, but I think Bible, we could just stop at the Bible. I think that's enough. So we need to value small groups. That's, that's my belief. So Jesus had a small group. 
and obviously this gets me thinking, well, who were they? What did they do? In other words, what was their DNA? And I believe it's in verse 19 when we look at that passage. The DNA of Jesus' small group is in the invitation itself. There's two strands, as you can see on the screen, uh, to this DNA of Jesus' small group. And it's this. It's follow Jesus and fish for people. That's it. When Jesus started his small group, he clarified expectations from the outset. It was very clear. What were they signing up for? To follow Jesus. Now, what did that mean for them? Well, quite literally, it meant that they were going to walk around, right? Like Jesus is here in the flesh. I'm following him around. But that's not all. It meant that they were going to have a relationship with Jesus. They spent time. They had deep conversations about life. It meant that they were going to imitate the life of Jesus. Whatever they saw their, their master and their teacher doing, they were going to imitate it. They were going to do it. And they were going to obey his teachings. Whatever Jesus taught, that should change their mind on what they believe about the world, what they believe about themselves. And they were going to live it out, right? So they followed Jesus. That's what they were signing up for. But then they also fished for people. So what did that mean for them then? Well, it meant that they went throughout a region. So think like Northern Virginia today. Went throughout a region and they went village to village. They went from Warrington to Haymarket to Manassas. Wherever it was, they went from village to village and they told people the good news about the kingdom. And eventually, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they told people, hey, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord over all. Trust him. Follow him. He can change your life now and forever. So they followed Jesus and they fished for people. Those were their, their twin passions. So for us, obviously, if we're asking the question, well, what's the DNA of a life group? Again, if, if it's me, I think that whatever the DNA of Jesus' life group was must be the DNA for our life groups. I don't think I just get to come up with it. I don't, I don't think we just get to decide, oh, hey, let's, let's do this. Hey, let's, let's be all about this. This is who we are. No, we want to submit to King Jesus and whatever he told his group. So obviously, if, that, if that's the case, then for us, Here's the DNA of every life group at New Life Christian Church. And this is aspirational. We actually have to live it and do it. And I think that we do. I think that, A, you, you, your commitment as a campus, and I've said this before, but just want to reiterate it. Because I have a shirt on that says, let's go, and it's football season, so I'm kind of in my coach mode right now. But uh, I, I do want you to know that, like, I'm very proud that the percentage of people that not only go, come on Sunday, but are in a group is really high. It's actually unusually high compared to, like, the national average. So I think that that shows that you believe this. You want to buy into a, a life group. You want to share life with people. So I'm really excited about that, and I think that's awesome that you guys do that. And I want to add on that. I want to build on that foundation and say, now, can we get even more people to buy in? Can we get even more people to not just, and I don't know how everybody thinks about it, but to not just think this is a once-a-week event, but say, I'm living my life with this group of people, and I'm surrendering every area of my life to the lordship of Jesus, and we're going to go reach more people. If your idea of what a small group is stops at just you learning some stuff, then you're not doing a small group how Jesus did it. In fact, I, I, would, I would say this. Now y'all are really getting me fired up. Man, 
I would say it like this, just to kind of like push your buttons a little bit. If you're not fishing for people, then are you really following Jesus? He told them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Are you really following Jesus if you're not fishing for other people? All right. So I want to move from, like, thinking about that biblically to now, obviously, we're going to still think about biblically, but how do we practically do this? Like, what does it look like today? Because the reality is Jesus ain't on the earth. We ain't walking around with Jesus, right? We're not fishermen. I don't know. Is anybody, I don't think anybody here is a fisherman by trade. So there's some differences between them and us. But here's what I believe, that even though there are differences, that the principle is the same throughout the past 2,000 years, Jesus is calling people to follow him and fish for people. Now, what does that look like in your life group this week as we kick it off? So here's what it means to follow Jesus. These are just some ideas. It's not exhaustive. Like, this isn't everything. But there's five things that I want to give you. We live like Jesus. We spend a lot of time together. We share how we're doing and pray with one another. We read and discuss the Bible, and we eat together. So I'm going to just kind of try my best to fly through all of these and just give us an idea of what this could look like. So, for example, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, we live like Jesus. This is what the Word of God says. We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Here's how we know. You ready for it? Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. And I think this is the starting point for what it means to follow Jesus. I hear people, and I've said it too before, with good intentions, will stand up here on a stage like this and they'll say, well, guys, hey, you know me. I'm a sinner. And I, just, I sin every day, I, multiple times a day, and I'm such a sinful person, you know me. And it's an attempt to connect, right, because we, are, we, are, we still struggle with sin, right? But here's the reality. The spirit of the living God is in us. We, we've got this, like, mindset that we just can't have victory. We can't overcome sin. And it's like the expectation is you live like Jesus. Do you believe you can live like Jesus? Hallelujah. Amen. Do you really believe that you can obey the commandments he gave? That's where we have to start. We have to expect from one another as a group, there's grace for you and me. I'm going to sin. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to sin. You're going to sin. It's going to happen. But our life should be characterized. It should be characterized in general by obedience to the commands of Jesus and living as Jesus did. So, super practical. This is what I did in our group last year, and I think it's at least something to do. One, if you read the Bible together, just say, hey, how are you going to obey this? We do it every week here on Sunday. Why? Because if we don't press for obedience, we'll just stop at head knowledge, and we'll be walking brains on a stick, and we'll feel good about ourselves because we learned something. I'm not against learning new things. That's why I teach the Bible. Ask the group, how are you going to obey what we read? And then when you come back together the next week, Hey, how'd it go? Did you do the thing you said you were going to do? Did you struggle with it? How can we pray for you? How can we help you? Very simple. Number two, 
we, sh- uh, we spend a lot of time together. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. This is Paul. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you just the gospel. The gospel only. Nothing besides the gospel. Oh, wait, no, that's, that's not what Paul said. I'm sorry, I read, the wrong, I read the wrong thing there. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. The gospel is a really big deal to Paul. It's a big deal to us as a church, what we believe. But Paul told the church in Thessalonica that not only did he share the gospel with them, but he shared his own life with them. So in our understanding of life groups, again, this is not a once a week meeting. This is not an event. You're not signing up for an event. You're signing up to be a part of a group of people. And we don't just share biblical truth together, although we absolutely do, but we share our lives together. So here's practically some, th- some ideas. Go to the group every week. <laughs> you actually got to go to the group and spend time together in the group. I'm going to be honest. I lead a group. I've been leading a group since my sophomore year in college ever since then. Do I want to go to the group every week? No. I don't want to go to the group every week. And I'm leading the group. You know the feeling? You look at the clock and you're like, oh, it's 40 minutes and it's a 20-minute drive and I'm not dressed. Do we want to go? Just go. Just go. Because you know the feeling when you leave group that night. What do you say when you get in the car? I'm really glad we went. That was really good. I feel that way. Maybe, maybe you're more spiritual than me, and, you know, that's, that's okay. So spend time at the meeting. Go. But here's the other thing. Spend time outside the meeting. You meet on Monday nights? There's not a rule saying you can only meet on Monday nights. Say, so, hey, let's get together for dinner. Let's hang out, do something fun. And then the last idea, super practical thing, is just set up a group text or however you want to do it and regularly communicate with each other throughout the week. So the more you communicate, the more you spend time together, you're sharing life with one another. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. That's what Paul did with the church. All right, number three. Uh, we share how we're doing and pray with one another. And I actually, I, I messed up on the slides. I changed my verse here. I'm going to go with Galatians 6.2, although I like James 5. Uh, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Carry each other's burdens. The reality is we've all got burdens. Everybody in this room has something that's burdening them. And so this, your group, your small group, this is the group of people that's like the front line for you. You should feel comfortable sharing your burdens with this group of people. And this requires a couple of things. It requires, one, a leader who says, guys, hey, how are we doing? What's, what's challenging in your life recently? And you let people talk. But here's the other part of that coin. You got to be honest. You got to be open and say, you know what? I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm a little uneasy. I don't know how people are going to respond to all this. Obviously, appropriate sharing, not oversharing, those different kinds of things are great. But you, really, you have to open up yourself. You have to be willing. Will I allow the group to bear my burden? So we got to talk about, hey, how's life going? And I'll tell you this. Last week, we met at the Hennings uh, house for our uh, life group this past year. How many weeks, and Drew and KR were there every, like every week too, so how, how many weeks did people share something, cry, and then the group laid hands over them and prayed over them? Right then. That happened regularly. And it was so powerful, so powerful. And I just say that as an example to get your imagination thinking, 
we could do that in our group. We just got to ask people, how you doing? Let's be open and honest. And when people open up, you rally. There's not the awkward, I'm going to look down. I'm not going to make eye contact with them. You know, no, you're looking. Man, thank you for sharing. Let, can we pray for you right now? And then you follow up with people throughout the week. Super practical, super simple. Next one. What does it look like to follow Jesus in a group? We read and discuss the Bible. Uh, again, I switched the, the verses. Second uh, Timothy three fourteen through 17. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and firmly believed, you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is our book. This is, this is our book. Other books are great. Other resources are great if they're helping you understand and apply the Bible. So you can read other stuff. I'm not saying don't ever read another book. Other books have helped me. But we major in the Bible. We need to be reading the Bible. Now, practically, there's, I think there's two different ways you can do this. There might be more. One is you read when you get together. So when you come together, the whole group opens up their Bibles you read it, you talk about it, how are you going to live it, who are you going to share with, all those great things, right? The second way of doing it is you read all throughout the week, and when you come together, you share what you read, what you learned, and how you obeyed. Does that make sense? You could do both. You could even combine it. You could even switch it up depending on the week. The point is we need to be in the Bible, and there doesn't need to be one person talking about the Bible. We need to let the group talk about the Bible. We need to let the group discover what God's saying from the Bible. I think that we all get that. That's pretty simple. And then the last one, follow Jesus. Uh, we eat together. Again, different verse. Acts chapter 2, 46 through 47. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I, I feel like we could all get behind this one. Eating meals together is very biblical and powerful. I, amen. Somebody, I was waiting for it. Um, this, this really is true, that when you eat, when you sit down at the table together, you eat good food, you laugh, you're telling stories, there's joy. You experience joy with one another. And so there's, again, a couple of different ways you can do this. One, you can have snacks. So uh, Abby would always do a great job of this. She would always have snacks and drinks, and every single week we knew we were going to have something to snack on. It was awesome. But then once a month what we would do is we would have a meal together, and so we wouldn't do a Bible study. We wouldn't do any talk or anything. We would all just bring food, and we would eat a meal together, and we would also take communion. So whether your group just wants to do snack food, whether your group wants to once every four or six weeks, whatever, do a meal together, in a home or at a restaurant, or whether you want to take communion together. We would just get tor tortillas and grape juice, unleavened bread of tortillas and grape juice through the vine. So you can do that however you want to do it, but break bread together. So those are some ideas of what you could do as a group starting this week to follow Jesus. We all, we track and we good? Okay, I'm going to assume we're good. All right, now, what does it look like to fish for people? Here's a couple of things. We cast vision for our spheres of influence. We pray for more workers to go into the harvest. 
we go show and tell the gospel, we baptize people, we teach new disciples to obey Jesus. All right, so let's, let's just go through these again. We cast vision. John chapter 4, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. You ever been a part of a group or a church where people's like, yeah, I'll get out there and like make disciples and share my faith. But first I've got to understand the Bible. Or first I've got to understand all of the questions I have. You know, you don't have to do either one of those things. You know, the woman at the well, just as soon as she encountered Jesus and he changed her life, she just went and told her village. She just, hey, this is what Jesus did in my life. You can share that. You know, the, the, the demoniac, as soon as Jesus cast the demons out of him, he didn't have to go to seminary before he started telling people about Jesus. He just went back and said, you guys got to hear what happened to me. Jesus changed my life. And we have to have this mindset, we don't have to wait till next year. We don't have to wait till next semester. We can do this right now because the fields are ready. There's people all around you where you live, work, and play. There are people who are spiritually hungry. Is everybody? No. But there are people who are spiritually hungry. And so just like Jesus, if you're in a group, there's times, honestly, most weeks, where we got to constantly remind each other and get our eyes focused on the harvest and say, this is great. We love one another, but what about the people out there? For example, um, I started three Bible studies at Gainesville High School. Um, this is super cool. And, uh, again, when I say this, I'm wanting to give God all the credit. So I want you all to clap in a second for God and what God's doing, okay? Um, so when I got there, they hadn't done, there's no Bible studies, no faith stuff, whatever. This past Thursday, well, this past week, there's a Bible study of five coaches, several are not Christians. There were 10 JV players and 28 varsity players, three different Bible studies, reading the Bible, talking about, I will obey by doing this. This is the teammate I'm going to invite to come. And we can clap now for God. Can we celebrate? Okay. <laughs> Woo, y'all are sleeping on me this morning. I haven't preached in like three weeks. I'm ready. thought y'all were ready. All right. Um. And so the first week we met, I gathered student leaders together. I don't lead the stuff. And I sent them an article of a team in Alabama that had 37 football players baptized at the start of this fall. Did you even know it was possible for 37 athletes on a team to be baptized? The next week, I sent them a video of a University of Alabama football player being baptized. Rest in peace, Alabama. The dynasty's over. I'm heartbroken. Meg was, I was just good, glad we get her to church this morning. She was crying all through the night. But, um, but I sent these guys this article and this video, and I said, guys, Jesus is at work in your team. You could do this. You could baptize your teammates. You could make an impact in the lives of these guys. What was I doing? I was giving them vision to see that the field is ripe for harvest right now, and they're doing it. And they're going to spread it to the basketball team. They're going to spread it to the track team. They're going to spread it wherever God opens the doors. So we've got to cast vision. Who's, who's going to cast vision in their group for lost people? All right, next thing. 
We pray for more workers to go into the harvest. Luke 10 to Jesus, again, he's sending out 72 other disciples besides the 12, and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we know the problem. We know that there's a lot of people out there who are lost and broken. Wait, that's not the problem. The problem is that there's not many of us who will go out and take Jesus to him. And Jesus says, therefore, so because of that, here's what we need to do. Pray for more workers. So if we're going to follow Jesus and fish for people, if we're going to fish for people, we got to remind ourselves there's people that need Jesus. Let's take Jesus to them. But besides that, we've also got to spend time in our group saying, let's pray, and let's pray for more workers. Father, I pray uh, for us as a group that you would send us out this week, fill us with the Holy Spirit, help us to be bold, help us to have that conversation with our coworker. God, I pray for Travis's men's group. I pray for whatever the group is, what, whoever you want to pray for. Does that make sense? I'm just modeling what that could look like, what that could sound like. You pray, send us, Lord. Give us a heart for people. The next thing, we go show and tell the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So this is right on the hills of Stephen being stoned to death. Saul, goes on also be called Paul. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, listen to this, except the apostles. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Here's one of the interesting mental blocks that I've heard before. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told the apostles, I'm going to send you out to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so when we start talking about fishing for people, one of the things I've heard before is people, I, I literally actually heard someone one time, I was at a church service. I won't say who it was. I actually, I don't think my, my parents are going to be in the next service, so I'll tell you guys, but I won't tell the next service. My grandfather is a preacher. I love him. His name's Big Dad. And uh, Big Dad, he read Acts chapter 1, and he asked the congregation, he says, are you a witness? And no one wanted to talk. And after we sat there awkwardly for a second, he said, no, you're not a witness because you didn't see the risen Jesus. You're not an apostle. And oh my goodness, it took everything within me to honor my grandfather and to not say anything because what I wanted to say in that moment was, okay, sure, you're right. We literally did not see Jesus rise from the dead. We are not one of the apostles. But Big Dad, did you know how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria? Did you read the Bible and know that one? It wasn't the apostles, was it? It was everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus. When persecution happened, they scattered and spread the gospel. It wasn't people like me. It was people like you. And I, I want to beat this drum so much because we've come to this place where we think, oh, professionals do the ministry. Professionals, the pastors, the leaders. I am one, okay, so I'm not against it. But what I'm saying is my job is to help you take Jesus to your natural relationships and networks. It's to get into your spheres of influence. That's how it's always happened. It wasn't the apostles. Okay. 
I got to keep it moving, guys. This could be a, this could be too long of a sermon. All right, so here's what here's practically what we can do in our groups. One, let's train to share our faith. I'm gonna I'll just tell you this surprise. I, I've been keeping this secret. I really want it to be a big secret. Didn't want to tell anybody. You know why I've had Chris and John and other people will come up here and share their story? Because I want you to see that you can share your story. I want you to realize that not just a professional can share how Jesus has changed their life. That if they can do it here on Sunday, he can do it tomorrow at work on Monday. You can do it at work. You can do it at the home. You can do it at the gym. You can do it. I want you to see ordinary people doing it. So when we get in groups together, let's practice. Let's train. Let's share. This is how Jesus changed me. This is the story of Jesus. Let's let's do that. And here's a crazy idea. What if you went out somewhere and actually initiated conversations with people? Who knows? You might meet a guy outside of an ice cream shop and tell him, cool shirt, invite him to church, and several weeks later he might commit his life to Jesus Christ in baptism. I've heard it could happen before, you know. Don't underestimate what can happen. I know it's weird. I know going to a public place to just strike up, hey, can I pray for you? I know that's weird. I get it but God can still use it. All right, the next one. We baptize people. Matthew chapter uh, 28, 18 through 20. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 19, actually. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus rose from the dead and told his followers, make disciples of all the nations. And there's three parts to how you do it. This is like in the Greek, literally, this is the three parts. The main command is make disciples. And the other three are go, baptize, and teach. So I know sometimes we talk about making disciples, and we make it way more complicated than it is. You just go and tell people about Jesus. You baptize them into Jesus, and you teach them to obey Jesus. That's it. That's what Jesus said. So... Uh, here's one of the things I've noticed before, I, and I, again, I don't know how you, how you think about this, but what I've noticed growing up is that dads baptize people and pastors baptize people. Now, you might have not experienced this because you know, we had different experiences of church, but as I started to talk to people about this, what I soon began to understand is that depending on the denomination you're in, there is a list of requirements that one must have in order to baptize people. Like you must be a man, for example, or you must be uh, of our denomination and be a man, or uh, you must believe that when a person's baptized, this specific thing happens, not just in general, it's their faith in Jesus and they're saved. You you see what I'm saying? So your beliefs, (laughs) your gender, all these different things, right? Here's the reality. Jesus told his followers to make disciples. If you've got a pulse and you claim to follow Jesus, then the guy with all authority in heaven and on earth has told you to go make disciples. He has commanded you to go make disciples. This is not a church thing. This is not a me thing. This is a command from Jesus. And so anybody can baptize anybody. If you're a Christian, you can baptize somebody. If you're a woman, you can baptize people. If you're a dad, if you're a pastor, if you're a teenager, you can tell people about Jesus and you can baptize them. It's not me. Just ask the guy with all authority in heaven and on earth. It's not me. You can baptize people. In fact, you must. So what do you do? 
Find some water. Could be a tub. Could be a pool. I don't care. Could be the horse trough. It doesn't have to be here on Sunday. We don't have. They don't have to be here on Sunday. And you ask them some questions. What do you believe about Jesus? What are you committing to? That's pretty much it. You don't have to have the piece of paper that we have. In fact, I'm probably just going to throw that away now because I'm like, you're not going to have that piece of paper when you're baptizing somebody out wherever, right? So that that doesn't make any sense. Um, And then you baptize them. You dunk them in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. Find some water. Ask them some questions. Dunk them in water. Help them follow Jesus. You can do that. Pretty simple. Last thing. We teach new disciples to obey Jesus. Same verses. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So when someone's baptized, what we're supposed to be doing together, what we're working towards as our groups, is not only as groups are we trying to baptize people, but we, ordinary people, not, not the pastor, not who, we who baptize them, we're trying to help them obey everything Jesus commanded. So we need to teach them the Bible, and we need to teach them the knowledge and the information they need. I'm all for that. I do videos on that on YouTube. You can watch them. But you got to teach them to obey. Does that distinction make sense to you? Has, uh, it doesn't? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll talk after service. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I love it. So what do we got to do? To be honest, this is a real, this is, a, this is tough. And I don't think a lot of us were taught how to do this. But the first thing is, we, when you baptize somebody, you just got to set the expectations. Hey, Jesus is king. He's Lord of your life. So that means whatever we read in the Bible, we believe and obey it. Even if we struggle with it. Even if it doesn't make sense to us. We trust him. He's king. And then, here's the helpful thing too. You got to give people concrete examples from your own life of this is what it looks like to obey something. So a lot of times, like, I'm sure I've done it too. We'll talk, preachers will talk about, oh, do this, do that. And then it's like, how do I do that? What does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. I've never seen somebody do that. So the more practical, concrete examples from your life you can give, it'll help them see it. And then last thing I'd say, just another practical thing to put in your tool belt is, I think even a framework of, like, help them read the Bible and think through uh, one that I love personally, head, heart, hands. What in your thinking needs to change? Maybe it's about sexuality. Maybe it's about gender. Maybe whatever it is. What, based when you read the Bible, what needs to change in your thinking? What needs to change in your desires, in your motives, the things you long for? Maybe you want the approval of people. Maybe you want the praise of people. No, you, you need to want the Father to praise you. So you do things in secret. You do things to not be praised by people. And maybe it's your hands. Maybe it's how do you speak? How do you behave? What actions need to change in your life. Maybe you need to stop doing whatever it is, start doing this, whatever it is. We have to help people learn to obey because, guys, it's actually not easy. Learning how to obey is not intuitive. At least to me it's not. I think it's hard. So I hope I haven't overwhelmed you. I know this was a little bit different than usual. I think it's because I haven't preached in three weeks. I was just like, I'm just going to throw everything at them. Um, So I apologize. But so our DNA, who we are, what do we do as groups? We follow Jesus and we fish for people. It's what Jesus called people to then. It's what he's calling us to today. Now, I want to give you a couple of the groups. There's eight groups that you can choose from. Again, in a minute, you'll fill out a card, you'll drop it in a basket, or you'll go talk to people at the table. So, uh, the first group we got, if you're a man, this is our one men's 
specific groups. So if you're a man, you don't have to be in this group, but this is a group for men specifically. So Travis Lovison leads this group, meets on Zoom every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. If you're a man, get into that group, talk to Travis. Now, for women, we've got two groups for women. The first is uh, Stephanie and Sarah. So again, uh, you don't have to be in these two groups, but if you want to be in a group for women, this is a, two great groups for you. They meet uh, Mondays in Manassas at 7.30 p.m. This is a new group. So th- I'm really excited about this. We had a new, yeah, whoop, whoop. We had uh, a new group last semester with Gabby and Marisa, and they crushed it. And so I know that this group's going to be really cool too. And then the next other women's group is Mary Gilbert, whoop, whoop as well. And uh, Mary meets both Zoom and in person, depending on the week, in Bristow, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Again, great group. She's got women from, I think, like all over uh, that Zoom in as well. So it's really cool, really powerful. For, yes. So those are two women's options. So we've got men options, women options. Now here are the groups for anybody and everybody, okay? So uh, the Smiths group. So they meet on Zoom. On Mondays at 8 p.m., if you got little kids and it's hard to travel, it's hard to go somewhere in person, this is a great option. You can put your kids to bed, jump on the Zoom. It's a great group. Um, that's the first one. The next one, again, this is for everybody, Paul and Janine Stepler. Uh, they meet on Zoom every other Monday at 7.30 p.m. Um, I, I love how just one of the things I remember hearing them talk about is how they kind of had a group for a while. And then over the past year, God's been bringing new people, infusing new life. And so I, I think that group would really bless you. It's another great option. Next one is the Leonors group. And they're going to be figuring out where they're going to meet in person. And so um, I think part of the time they'll meet at the Hennings, but um, they're also going to meet somewhere else. So for now, we're going to say they meet on Zoom uh, Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's a great group. Everybody from 20 to, I don't know, mid-40s maybe. I don't know. Kids, no kids. It's kind of a mix. Uh, this was the group that Meg and I were a part of last year. Incredible group of people. All right, next one. Um, there's two more. Again, this is for everybody. This is Marisa and Gabby's group. They meet Wednesdays in Bristow at 6.30 p.m. Wow, y'all brought the noise tonight or this morning. I like that. I love that. Um Yes, again, so they started their group recently, and just God's absolutely blessed them, and I love, love, love hearing the incredible things that they do as a group, so check that group out. And then the last, this is uh, my group. So my group, I'm starting a new group as well, Mondays at uh, Tuslejour in Gainesville at 7 p.m. So here is my hope, this is my intended, uh, the t- intended result that I hope to accomplish with our group. I really wanted to start a group that would, primarily focus on the fishing for people. So we're still going to follow Jesus together and do all the things, eat food, read the Bible, etc. But I really wanted to train and equip and coach other people to make new disciples and start new groups. So that's you and you're really passionate about that. I think it'll be a good option for you. All right, here's the moment of truth, the moment you've all been waiting for. Grab a card, grab a pen, and right now, uh, just go ahead, if you're ready, you might have been in a group last year. If you were, please just fill it out. I, I know you're like, why? Why are you making me do this? It takes 30 seconds, and it'll help us as a staff track and follow through. So write your name, write your email, um, and then check the box if you're ready right now of one of the eight groups. 
And if you're not ready and you just need help, there's a box at the bottom left that says help me find a group. So please fill that out right now. Check the box. we got a couple of people that have baskets that are going to be walking down the aisles in just a second. So once you get it filled out, just pass it to the inside uh, two aisles that they're going to walk down. Make it easy on them. Thank you guys for filling this out. If you're not ready, again, there will be tables in the lobby. So no pressure. You can go out there and talk to the leaders, get more information, talk with your family, figure out a night that works for you.